All right. Well, uh, good morning, um, IGC, and it is good to be here. Uh, thanks, Wade, for uh, just uh, introducing me. And, of course, the leadership, David, Sammy, uh, Michael, of course, uh, Jeff, um, for having Harry and me to come worship with you guys and to share what God is doing in and through our church plant in Hayward. Um, there's more, of course, that I could share, you know, um, especially with, you know, Michael, Wade, David, Sammy, and Jeff, and, and just, you guys know what an encouragement you guys have been. Uh, words cannot express. Um, I will share more a little bit later. Harry obviously has more relationships here than I do, more deeper ones than I do. Uh, but honestly, I've been just blown away by the love and the support and encouragement that you guys have given, uh, not only to Harry, uh, to the, our church, to, but also to me and my wife. Um, you know, the text messages, phone calls, prayers, and support. Uh, we pray with some of you for us to find a building, to have, gather a core team, to find a place where we can start having house churches, and God has provided all right. I mean, it's 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 just energized us, you know, and um, the church would not be here without you guys. Uh, we would not be here without your support, without your prayers, without your thoughts. And we are thankful for the Lord's provision. Um, now, today we're going to take a look at the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is mentioned all throughout the Old and New Testament. Out of the 160 times it's mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus mentions it 126 times, which means that it was very important to him. You see, the kingdom of God is an extremely crucial reality for all of us. But here's the thing. At the same time, it's not necessarily an easy concept, an easy theme, an easy reality to grasp. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, was once asked in a Times interview, what is the Harry Potter series all about? For those who haven't read it, in a nutshell, can you explain the story to our readers? And then she essentially said, well, if I could put the story in a sentence, if I could put it, all its themes and all its significance in a definition, I wouldn't have to write the whole story. You know, what she's saying is you can't tuck the biggest things in life the most important things in life into a sentence. Right? The, the full impact can't be reduced into a, uh, a summary statement. It's like asking, what's the secret to marriage? You know? uh, what's the secret to life's happiness? There is no secret. <laughs> There's no perfect phrase to summarize it, but we could spend hours and hours and days and weeks talking about it and learning and being amazed and being humbled. And so, friends, it's the same with the kingdom of God. It's often been asked, why didn't Jesus just put the kingdom of God in a single sentence? Why didn't he just define it? But I think it's fascinating that, you know, Jesus asks a question, right? I'll read the text later, but he asks a question in our text. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use you see, for Jesus, the kingdom of God is so magnificent and otherworldly that it's hard to make a single statement about it. And because we wouldn't be able to understand it in any other way, he uses stories, he uses metaphors, he uses likenesses. Jesus literally says in the Greek, what likeness shall we use to get across the kingdom? When I was in college at UCI, we got any anteaters here? Any? Any? No? There you go. Yes, that's it. I know there's got to be more. You're just not like proud of it. I get it. <laughs> okay. 
you know. Uh, but when I used to tutor in college, I used to tutor math. Uh, one of my kids hated math, and I remember him saying, and I, I remember it to this point because it's so funny. He said, you know, I can't wait to be an adult because I won't have to do math anymore. <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, you will. And he just stared at me like I was an alien. How do you explain adulthood to a 12-year-old? You can't. You use stories and likenesses and comparisons. The same way Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a farmer. The kingdom of God is like that. Right? A person sells all that he has to buy up this little plot. So today we're going to take a look at one of his metaphors in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 32. So let's all take a look at it together. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter on the ground, scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is the word of God. Today we're going to take a look at three things. Uh, First, we're going to take a look at the seed. Second, We'll take a look at the growth of the seed. And then lastly, we'll take a look at the shade of the tree. So first, the seed. Verse 26 talks about how the kingdom of God is like a farmer who is scattering seed onto the ground. And I didn't read this part, but earlier in this chapter, in verse 14, Jesus talks about how the seed that the sower is sowing is the word of God. Right? What this means is if you want to live in the kingdom, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, if you want to grow in the kingdom, if you want to be part of its life force, you have to embrace and trust and know the seed, the word of God. Now in scripture, to know something or someone is more than just intellectual knowledge. To know someone is to be intimately tied with them, opening your heart and your life to them, and they in return opening their heart and their life to you. You see, to know someone means you not only know things about them, you actually care about the things you know about them. You wish good for them. Your heart and your hopes are bound up with them. You weep when they weep. You rejoice when they rejoice. You know them so well that they bring you into the center of their heart. You're one with them. Their well-being is your well-being. Your well-being is their well-being. That is the biblical sense to know someone. Now imagine that you're dating someone and you tell her you are serious about getting to know her. But you're the one talking all the time. You've heard what she would like to eat but you're choosing all the restaurants. You don't want to do what she wants to do. Every time she wants to sit and talk, you tell her, but I already know these things about you. You're not moving into her life. 
I guarantee you, you're not moving into her heart. Her well-being is in your well-being. How do you think this will go? And in a similar sense, nothing can substitute this fully present, this intimate, this life-transforming union of knowing the Word of God in your life. Not our degrees or accomplishments, not our Christian upbringing or even a theological education. Those are not the seed, according to Jesus, in Mark chapter 4. The presence of power cannot, uh, of God cannot be contained in any of those things. You see, the scripture compares the seed, the word of God, as a living organism. You know, sometimes we think, oh, the Bible's so dry, right? I remember one of my friends, like, hey, Rich, you got a movie that I, you could recommend to me? Like, I'm not much of a reader. I was like, no, there's no movie, dude. All right? Okay? Read the Bible, all right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you want to go see Noah? No, I don't want to go see Noah. All right? But anyways, you see, the reason why the scripture is compared to a living organism is because in John chapter 1, Jesus says, right, or John says, Jesus is the word that became flesh. So when you're reading the Bible, you're getting to know the living Christ. And you're not just learning facts about him. You're tying yourself to him. He wants to come alive into your heart as you open your heart to him, not just your mind. This is why 1 Corinthians 13 says that knowledge itself is nothing without being united and knowing this dynamic, this living organism, this love of Christ as he is present in the living scriptures. So friends, as we, as we pray and as we, as we read the word of God, as we come to worship, we expect nothing less than a living organism. Jesus Christ moving through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word into our hearts, so that he can cultivate and bear spiritual fruit in our lives. Let's take a look at the growth of the seed. In verse 27 and 28, uh, it says that after the farmer lays the seed into the ground, he sleeps, he gets up, night and day. And the seed then sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. The herb produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Now what these verses tell us is that the life transformation that comes from the word of God, the spiritual fruit like faith, and love, and kindness, and humility, and selflessness, all these things do not occur instantaneously or impressively. They are organic. So they come about patiently and unremarkably. Some of you may know this story. Uh, In the 80s, to meet the demands for tomatoes, typically store-bought tomatoes were harvested prematurely when they were green. Right? To meet the demand. Then they were put in ethylene gas chambers to redden them unnaturally. And after this, the tomatoes would be chilled so that they could withstand the days and weeks in transit. And all of this would lead to a tomato, right, with a significant lack of flavor and a significant lack of nutrition. So laws were made to regulate the growth, the harvesting, and the transportation of tomatoes. So if you eat an inorganic tomato and then an organic tomato, and then if you home grow your tomato, you will notice a drastic difference in flavor. And then I guess in nutrition too, right? 
but you would notice a drastic difference in flavor. Friends, the natural world has a process. And if you try to speed that up faster than it's supposed to be, you're going to have disintegration. This applies to organic food. This applies to children. This applies to overworking and our physical and mental and emotional and spiritual health. And this applies to the kingdom of God. Like the harvest in our passage, the results, as Jesus says, comes in seasons. Right? It's not always spring. It's not always summer. Sometimes it's a cold winter. We're not looking to harvest a week after we plant, a day after we read a book, or even after a month. We know we've got to wait for the long haul. So we do the things that the, Jesus tells us to do to grow in the kingdom of God. We faithfully attend worship. We trust in the power of prayer. We strive to intimately know the word of God, even when we feel like it's not bearing fruit immediately. We confess our sins to one another, and we forgive one another, and remind each other of the goodness and kindness of Christ, even when we feel like that's not what we want to do or hear. Why do we do all this? We do this because we know that if we want to reap a spiritual harvest of peace in our lives, in love in our marriages, of kindness and forgiveness in our communities, we have to entrust ourselves like the natural world to the kingdom's seasonal process. So first, the growth of the seed requires patience. I know that's hard for you guys with that buy now button on Amazon, right? You can't do that with the kingdom of God. You can't buy spiritual fruit. The second thing that we notice in the growth of the seed is that it is unremarkable. You know, after the Philadelphia Eagles won the 2018 Super Bowl, Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Eagles, he gave an interview to the Philly Inquirer, and this is what he said. He said, that was a spectacular game, but no one knows Only the people in the locker room know the unspectacular things that we did every day to get here. Not staying up late, coming to practice on time, studying the playbook, doing the same drills, eating right and watching our weight. That is how it is. And so similarly in verse 27, the farmer sleeps and rises night and day. So, friends, I don't know about you, but that is a pretty unspectacular game plan. That's, that's unexciting. But it wasn't Jesus' miraculous signs and wonders that saved people. You see, it attracted them. They came because he's doing miracles. He's feeding people. But the ones who stayed, that's not what they stayed for. They got the parables. They knew that this was going to be a long haul. Those who stayed, stayed because they trusted the ordinary and faithful night and day process of the word of God to come through on its spiritual promises. Now this isn't easy by any means, but thus is the growth in the kingdom of God. So first we see that the word of God is like a seed. It's an 
organic seed that is planted and that needs to be received by fertile soil, by fertile hearts. Second, we see that the the power in the seed, the life-transforming power that we're looking for is patient and ordinary. There's no silver bullet, no magic beans, no secret potion. Just resilient and humble faith in the grace, love, and power of Christ. Lastly, let's take a look at the shade of the tree. Friends, take a look at verses 31 and 32 with me. This is what Jesus says. He says, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Friends, this tree metaphor was a very common image that God would give to his prophets throughout the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 17, I have it here too on your program, God gives us a clear glimpse of this tree. He says, I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. It will, I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. That last line is the tip. And all the other trees in the field will know that I am the Lord. What is Ezekiel saying here? What is God saying here? You see, trees in the Bible are metaphors for kingdoms. There are lots of kingdoms out there. There are, of course, political kingdoms. But there are also other kingdoms that we treasure in our hearts. There's the kingdom of power and popularity. There's the kingdom of beauty and sex. There is the kingdom of money and security. All these kingdoms have their rules their citizens, and their rulers. And what God is saying in Ezekiel 17 and in our passage, what Jesus is saying in our passage today is that all these other kingdoms, they're broken. You can't live in them. You can value and appreciate these things, but you cannot treasure them with your heart. You cannot give your allegiance and your undevoted, undivided loyalty to them. They cannot be your king. They cannot lead you like Jesus can. They cannot care for you like Jesus can. You'll be sitting under its tree waiting for it to bring you hope and joy and life. But you'll find no protection. You'll find no rest. No shade. We'll find ourselves struggling with disillusionment, overwhelmed and afraid, longing 
for something better. So Jesus comes into this world and he says, my people are trapped behind the walls of these other kingdoms. They're stuck and I have to free them. So he comes into the world and he is the fulfillment of this parable like a seed that is sown onto the ground. He dies for our sins and is buried into the earth. And the spiritual life that comes out of this seed is his forgiveness, his grace, his unconditional love and resurrecting power to free us day after day from these other kingdoms. Friends, for those who plant their trust in this seed in Jesus, the word of God, who became flesh for your sins, for your failings, for grace, for your weaknesses, you will find the shade of his tree. You will find that your eternal security in heaven is greater than any security you can acquire here on earth. You will find that the love and adoration you have in Jesus is more sustaining and life-giving than anyone you can attract here on earth, romantic, from your colleagues, from your family, from your friends. And you will find that his comfort in loss and in pain surpasses it all. This is the shade of Jesus' tree that's talked about in Genesis 3 in Psalm 1 and Revelation 22, fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And friends, yet there is a process to get there. One must go out and scatter, spread, share the word of God unto the earth. This is the one thing that God has called us to do. So let me just end with this. If I were to tell you that only about 5% of the population consider themselves Bible-believing, church-attending, grace-centered Christians, you might think I'm talking about a foreign mission field. But I'm not. I'm talking about our own backyard. According to a study in 2015, CBS reported that the San Francisco, Alameda County, and San Jose areas are the least churched areas in the nation. And Harry and I will share a little bit more in a few seconds, but if the church and the kingdom of God is like a tree that gives spiritual life and spiritual protection and shade, we need to plant more trees. I'm going to read this one last time, and we'll close. Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. By the grace of God, this shade 
is a reality for some of us. But for many others, it isn't. Not yet. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Let's pray. Gracious God, sometimes when we we come to church, we don't expect the presence and power of the resurrected King. Yet, Lord, without it, we are not the tree that can offer the spiritual life and shade that you have declared it to be. And so we are thankful that you did not die intellectually for our sins. You did not go into the ground intellectually for three days. No, you were truly betrayed. You truly experienced pain. You truly experienced the wrath and separation from your Father, whom you have experienced communion throughout eternity. And you were the seed, Lord, that went into the ground the mustard seed, the humble king that came on a donkey that went into the ground for all our sins so that as you would grow, the birds of the air can come and make nests in the shade of your tree. Lord, we are thankful for the work that you are doing at IGC. We are thankful for the work that you are doing in our presbytery We are thankful for the work that you are doing outside of our denomination, for the work that you are doing in the churches in the Bay Area. And Lord, we just want to move the needle and entrust the results to you. So we ask that, Lord, you would pour out your spirit upon this area, for it has been dry for way too long. And we ask that you would bend your ear to us as we desperately cry out for more laborers in the harvest that your spirit would move as people would proclaim your gospel boldly, but love everyone compassionately. That we would follow your example as you love the widow and the poor and the broken and the outcasts, and you went after them. Lord, we cry out and we beg you that, Lord, this would be a fruitful season for all the churches in the Bay Area. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.